there, guys. Thank you for watching Are We Podcasting Yet? I put some links down there in the description for you guys to click on if you want to find out more information about some of the topics that we will be talking about on the podcast. Because, full disclosure, we don't always know everything there is to know about some of the subject matter that comes up on this podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Hello world, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of Are We Podcasting Yet? Uh, thank you for joining us yet again. And Justin, why don't you just go ahead and introduce our lovely guest today. Today, we have our dearest, dearest friend, the eco-activist, actress, TV host, model, Yumiko Hoskin. Golf clap. I give golf clap. That every time, every time Justin says eco activist, I swear to God, he's like taking the piss out on me. Eco, I'm not. That's what's. It's on you your know. Instagram. You are an eco activist. I know. I let's, know. let's start with this then. Let's define eco activist. Here we go. That's a that's a that's a good jumping off point. I think so. I, what is an eco activist? I mean, I think it's like someone who has a voice or uses their platform to raise awareness with, you know, whether it's conserv- uh, conservation or, um, you know, pollution, uh, anything to do with like the ecosystem and how we need to protect it. When did you know you wanted to get involved, you know? Because, um, you know, we've known uh, Yumi for quite a while now. We've been able to yeah. watch her career grow. But the eco-activism kind of started, what, within the last four years? I mean, I feel like less. Like, I, I Was it less? Like I, mm. Well, I've always cared about the environment, but I think in terms of, like, switching my platform up has been since I started my own brand, the Google Bag, which is mm-hmm. all about single-use plastic. So I think it was, like, from that where I was like, okay, I – actually care about this and I really want to talk about this and this has purpose so yeah I kind of just went on to edit on Instagram put in eco-activist got rid of like actress models blah, blah, blah. that's all it takes and then I was boom an eco-activist <laughs> boom I think we need to get green check marks on Instagram for eco-activists to go next yes. to the blue verified check oh marks God, so yeah. like think eco eco-verified did you have like a moment? Did you have like this epiphany at some point where you were like, I don't know, under a tree? Um, and, and you were like, <laughs> You do oh my make God, fun of it. I love this tree. I want to make sure it stays here and is happy. Like, did that, did that happen? Something like that? It did happen, Justin. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why you're laughing at that. <laughs> yes, that did it really? Happen. Like, was it, was then, it here in Singapore? Then, I can't remember. It was some tree somewhere on some land. But another thing is I love cows. So every time I go somewhere, I always want to hug a cow. It's like a new. How close do you get to actually hugging said cows? Or is it just kind of one of those things you, you always want to try and you haven't? No, I, I go, I mean, Chagao. Did I hug? No, I didn't. I wanted to hug a cow Chagao, but I didn't. I hugged a cow in Bali. They just let you hug them. And wow. I hugged a cow in London. I just See, hugged cats. This is why America's messed up, Justin, because we don't have cow hugging in America. Um, pretty sure it's called cow tipping. But that's called cow tipping. Have you, you ever tried to do that? I have never gone cow tipping. And I just want to go out and say I am not a, I'm not a, a supporter of ca- the cow tipping movement. 
Yeah, so I've tried to do it multiple times. Um, you have, Justin. Yes, we've gone out in the middle of the night to try and go cow tipping. For those of people who don't know what cow tipping is, it's when Please you explain. go out in the night to where the cows are. Look at Yumi's are. face. Justin, look at Yumi's and, face. And you try and... and, and, and I don't know. And, and presumably, the cows are sleeping. And so while the cow's sleeping, you push them over. Yeah. yeah. And then now, they can't get up. I think this is a myth. Because every time I've tried to do this, the cows are not sleeping and they are not happy you're there. And they get <laughs> yeah. aggressive. Because it's night, yeah. they're like probably protecting their, their calves and like you're out there in the field and they're like, no, 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 no. We couldn't even get close enough to the cows to tip them. So it's never happened and I've never heard of anybody successfully tipping a cow. Yeah, well, that was an excellent explanation. I even learned a little bit about it. Uh, yeah, Yumi, this is a thing, supposedly. And Justin's got a good fair point. I've never seen either a video of cow tipping or I've also never seen anyone do it, but it was something that growing up, I just heard of. And so maybe it was always like a urban legend or something. Yeah, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how you do it. They're, they're very alert animals. Like they wake up when you approach yeah. them. They're not sleeping. Justin, and they're heavy. I can, I'm so shocked. You're such a bad person. I didn't tip a cow. Okay, first of all, when you said, we don't have uh, cow hugging, I thought you said, we only have cow eating. And then suddenly- You did say I, that. I can't believe you said, I can't believe you've done catering. That's horrible. You're horrible. We didn't, it was unsuccessful. Yeah, so but you tried. I was young. I was like 18. I okay, I find it very hard to believe though. Young lady, you are from Australia. There is a lot of like plains and flatland and cows uh, areas. I would imagine Australians have gone cow tipping before, if it is indeed a thing. I'm not Googling this. I'm not commenting to this. I'm not going to ever cow tip to being cow no. is cool. Clearly. Surely you mean there were things that you did when you were 18 years old that you look back on now and think to yourself, yeah, that's not something I would do now. That was in poor form. No. Segway. Things yeah. we did when we were 18 that we really wish we did not do. Cow tipping. <laughs> Cow tipping one, right there. <laughs> there we go. Very, very nice, very nice. Alan? Um, oh my goodness, something I wish that I hadn't done. Okay, this is totally random, but it's a fun mm -hmm. little story, so we'll go with it. Uh, I was dating a girl around the end of my high school career um, who was Wiccan. Uh, she, uh, she was a witch. That's what a Wicca or Wiccan uh, would be a religious. Oh, I have two, I have two stories. Oh, um, I, mo I like most things when I was 18, I should have been doing, but go on. She was, I might've been 17. So she was a witch technically. And, and I didn't know much about Wicca culture, um, but supposedly she had an altar and candles and she said if she could change the color of her eyes. Anyway, not proven. But I go on a summer camp as a counselor and I'm gone for two weeks over the summer and I love it. And I, I decide I'm gonna stay two extra weeks. And I call her and I tell her I'm gonna stay two extra weeks and she was not happy about this. And the very next day I broke my ankle on a hike and had to go back home. I think that she did that to me. And I wish that I had not uh, stayed for the extra two weeks and got my ankle broken by a witch. First of all, can I just say, I, I love this conversation. I always wanted to be a witch. Didn't have those powers, unfortunately. Tried to buy some spell books. Didn't actually work. But yeah, I mean, even my housemate has like stories about how he dated a witch 
and how she like turned the sky into this crazy thunderstorm and she would like rock up to um, these festivals and he would see her and then she would disappear like just standing there and oh my god so into this yeah well my, my witch did not disappear but oh. uh, it's not a figure of speech like oh she was a witch no she was she was wicked and then that was my first and only foray into that uh, side of life how long were you dating the witch it was a few months it was a, it, okay. was, it wasn't she, a long wasn't a long time she was sweet was she was super sweet and really nice and just like gentle and kind-hearted she was a musical theater kid theater kids by the way theater kids that's all i gotta say i was a theater kid that's wow it's a lot of interesting but don't you think that like even nowadays with herbalists and like you know people who use crystals and stuff kind of have that element of witchiness i like, think there's I a whole see i knew i knew we we're gonna stand on the opposite end of the spectrum from justin not the opposite end but i do i mean there's a whole trend of alternative healing right and alternative medicine mm. um many people may have said at one point that acupuncture was witchcraft right but True. i personally have found that acupuncture has been has worked wonders so i don't know it's uh what do you think justin do you believe in witchcraft um no <laughs> would you date a witch how 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 compatible is this witch with me uh like I'm i sure think there's any witch you know, would be. you know how there's like a a, a hot crazy level there's like a hot yeah. witchy level like how how much witch is to her hotness i think so you're saying that like, craziness and hotness are directly proportional to each other as is that what you're saying is that no no as not, hotness increases time you will permit more craziness the more attractive the, the person. Okay. Right? Uh, and that's you, you, not necessarily physical attraction, any kind of attraction. The more attracted I, you are to someone in general, well, you will I, put I, up with more things. That's true. For, I mean, yes, but I think just for this sake of uh, argument, we'll just go with physical attractiveness. Uh, I, I dig think. in that hole. Keep digging no, no, trying no, to no, get you I mean, out of the hole. That is that is the argument, right? Like, well, there's that famous yeah. uh, viral YouTube video that went where that guy yeah. does the chart, and then up here, like, down there's the unicorn because she's incredibly, cra incredibly uh, attractive, but Insane. not crazy at all. But that's Just anyway. <sighs> I'll send you the link, Yumi. The link will. I'll put the link in the description. I, Everybody I knows what I'm talking about. I just think sometimes you need to go to therapy because oh, you yeah. don't wind up alone because totally. all you're, you're looking for is like hot girls and you're looking for- I'm not, that is not. And the physicality. That is uh, not true. This is his therapy. This is, is his therapy right yeah. now, this podcast. This is the therapy. Thank you for joining my therapy session, Yumika. Um, and that is definitely, it is so not true. I do not only go for attractive women just because they're attractive. Um, I, I initially meet women a lot of the times based on physical appearance because we're visual creatures and I see somebody like, let's chat to them. Now, the, and the duration of time that I spend with them after that initial encounter is definitely based upon how smart they are, how well we get along, uh, what other things that they have to offer mentally and emotionally. So, so uh, you're wrong. So how many of those good looking let's talk about uh, even like the 20 year old models or whatever how many of them how many of them eventuated into something longer than two months several two two months oh is, is two months the mark 
I'm just gonna put myself on mute real quick. I want you guys to continue this. No, but seriously, you're you're going for physicality, and then once you start hanging out with them, and you realize that the chemistry fizzles, you haven't got the compatibility. So that's yeah, why. And then, and then it's over. But then, why do you keep going for the physicality ones? You're going. For well, no, I, well, I've met plenty of. There's plenty of attractive women you meet that are incredibly smart and um, funny, and that I get along with, and we're interested in the same things. Like, and I've you know I've had relationships that lasted, you know. A year almost, and then like. You want six to be months. in a relationship now? If I meet the right person, sure. But would you like go on a blind date with someone and not be too fussed about the the chemistry at the beginning? Like, would not be too fussed about the girl? chemistry at the beginning? I think yeah. chemistry at the beginning is pretty important. I mean, important for me. I mean, I think that intellectual stimulation is also chemistry. Yeah. No. Yeah. So yeah, if I'm not intellectually stimulated at first, it's game over. Yeah, it's all about stimulation. Whatever form of stimulation you, need to be you stimulated. Uh, like all find, animals. you got to no intellectually stimulated, emotionally stimulated, uh, witchcraftly stimulated. Whatever, whatever floats your boat, get her done. Uh, I mean, how, how many of the women that I've that I've actually like really dated you, that you know of, have not been smart, or that I haven't got along with? Have not. I don't think, None. I don't think you should answer that. Have not been smart? Are you kidding me? Oh, okay, you can't say names. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying, I'm well, going to need well, first and last names. You could say names. Postal codes and address. Yeah. No, but, but like, that I actually really dated. Yeah, you dated these girls. I think that you guys have different definitions of dated. I think, I think I can already tell where you guys are not, you're yeah, not on the same we, page. We Justin was dating a girl for a couple months. He wasn't dating her. You know, they were having a very friendly and physically oriented uh, communion. Exactly. So do different. you think then, Justin, you would never be able to do long distance? Oh, um, no. <laughs> not necessarily, no. You mean? I think why? I, I'm, I get distracted very easily. So you need the physical. I think it's, I mean, at this point in my life, yeah, it's, it's important to me. Sorry. I do need the person there. At, at this point Present. in your life, compared to when? Yeah, compared exactly. to when I'm 70. <laughs> oh, compared to the future. Yeah, sorry, oh. you're referring it to the past. Huh? Oh, that's funny. Uh, Yumi, do you, uh, let's go there. You, you brought out the LDR. Do you believe and the possibilities of an LTR, LDR. A hundred percent, but you have to have like a end date to it. And you also have to be completely aligned with your future and not, not, okay, okay, okay. So for me and my partner, right? Like we both want to have two locations where we live. Um, we both are very family orientated. So we respect that within each other. And we both are entrepreneurs. So we know we have to like dedicate a certain amount of our energy to work, to hustle, to make the money. I, I don't know. Like, I think that because I've also been like not in a relationship for most of my life, I like my independence and therefore long distance work for me. This year was much harder because obviously we, we couldn't actually make the plans to see each other. So that was frustrating. But before that, like last year, it was totally fine. Yeah, we have an end date. We're, we're ending it 
in terms of uh, long distance next year. We're going to like move somewhere together. You just have to kind of like, when you get on the phone, they just have to be so damn stimulating for you to <laughs> stay in it, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, do. I, I think I do. Um, mm-hmm. This year is not a good um, bellwether for the, you know, the argument or discussion as to whether long distance can work. Yeah. This year was, I think this year was a bad year for anybody trying to do that. I, as you know, was also trying to do that. You guys, you guys did a little bit better than we did. Um, but I think it depends on situation and personality and understanding ahead of time before long distance starts. Like a certain amount of connection needs to have been developed beforehand, no matter what. Also, I think it has to do with uh, if you're active or if you're quarantined at home. It's, it's a totally different thing when, when you're two, living two different lifestyles. Because one of the things you brought up is that you guys are both entrepreneurs. So you both totally understand um, what the other person needs in terms of time and commitment and stuff. Um, but if you're living two different lifestyles, but on opposite ends of the world, it's, it's difficult, especially with time difference. Mm. So I don't know. I, I used think- to think could work but if you're you know if your kind of life plan trajectories for the individual people aren't going in the same direction that well, creates that's for any relationship right oh not necessarily if you're in the same location one person one person can be like i'm going to be an entrepreneur and and do this and the other person can be like i'm going to be an accountant right but but you both got to decide whether you want to have a family or whether you, you want to oh, live yeah. in this type of home or that type of home so but no right. you're right you don't have to have the same career uh trajectory at all right yeah like um, if, yeah. if rob and i ever broke up it would be because i've suddenly turned around and said i want to live in singapore mm-hmm. and he wouldn't want to come back and live here so then it would be but then it's fine like if that happens touch wood like it's i think it's a very nice mature adult breakup because it's like there was nothing wrong in the relationship mm-hmm. but like if each of you needs something different and if it means like living in a different location because you feel I don't know you need that or that's your path or that's where your career is really going to bloom then so be it but I'm choosing to move because I'm actually ready to move into a different chapter of my career path as well what if you can't move what what do you mean why wouldn't I be able to move I mean that's true right long distance what if you can't get your visa to where you want to go what if you can't move to the same place you're not from the places neither of you from the places that you're trying to move to right now could be complications. Yeah. I mean, I just think it'll work out. This is where the witchiness comes in. You just need to trust the universe. Everything happens for a reason. If we can't move there, then we're okay. So we're planning to move to London. If we can't get visas there, then we're going to do six months of a sabbatical and jump from like Italy to like living in, Amsterdam to living in London for a bit and then we'll go to New York. That's cool. That's a good plan. Yeah. So we have plan A, B and C. But if I wanted to stay, stay in Singapore and I wanted to like pursue, you know, acting and hosting and blah, 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 then I don't think that could work. I'm ready for a new challenge. Yeah. Makes sense. I think a lot of people have come to that kind of discovery this past year with everything that's going on. Alan, so why did your long distance relationship go wrong? Wow. That's a great topic. And to, now we're uh, in Alan's therapy. A great, great topic to dive into that right there. Uh, tough, man. Distance, mm. like we touched on it a little bit before, distance is tough. Time difference is extraordinarily tough. Um, 
how like for example you it's what 11 a.m for you guys right now and it's 7 p.m for me there's really only a small window and you know if you go back and forth between the east and west a lot you start to learn what those windows are but there's really only yeah. a small window that you're both awake available have the energy to put into it and not busy doing something else right like my when my evening time is like the middle of her work day or her evening time is like the middle of my night like 3 4 a.m it's, it's tough to make sure you have that window of, of uh, time to spend with each other because i think that's the main thing and i think yumi you touched on it is you still got to figure out how to spend some quality time that's the that's the tough part i mean it's not tough it's enjoyable but you got to mm. it takes a lot more consideration it can't just be like hey come over tonight let's watch a movie and chill we'll order some food or something it's not like that. It's uh, from like 7.30 to 8.30 p.m. I'm free for a call. Like, let's watch this TV show for the first time. Like, you you figure out how to do quality time. And that was all going well for us, except uh, I, I got a job in Singapore, and I tried to get back into Singapore during this time period, and I couldn't do it. And at that point, we realized there there was no end in sight, as uh, yeah. Yumi pointed out. There, we had no idea when the next time would be. Uh, when an American would be allowed to re-enter Singapore without a good visa, right? So I think this all kind of added up and I was coming out here and I decided I wanted to kind of make sure my base was out here and she's doing great out there. So yeah, Co COVID did this to us. Yeah, yeah you, it sucks, man. Do you think like you would get back together if the circumstances were different? I don't know. How do you guys feel about that, by the way? Because I personally have never gotten back together with any of my exes, but I'm not saying that that I wouldn't ever do that. But in my personal experience, I've never wanted to get, I mean, I've wanted to stay friends with, but I've never mm. wanted to get intimately close again with someone that was in my past. But I know that people have done it. Um, I, I've definitely kind of done that uh, a few times. And uh, yeah, it's, really, it's great. Fine. And then you're like, and then you like, no way, we were right before. Yeah. Uh, oh, this is this is what we realized. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or it was also it's also circumstantial. When a certain time, a certain amount of time passes in between people, you start to realize, oh wait, our lives are on different trajectories. Even though we obviously really do get along, and this could work out in another parallel universe. In this universe, in this reality, we're going these two different separate ways. If you broke up for a reason, I feel like you broke up for a reason. Like, you know, like that's a pretty intense conversation to have being like, we're over, we're done, blah, 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 blah. Maybe it's a comfort thing for me. I like to always close a chapter so I can focus completely on me for what I need to get done. People change though, right? It's so like, as you just said, you, you close that chapter so that then you can focus on yourself. So a lot of times after these breakups, people change. And I've definitely had a couple of circumstances where... I'd be dating this girl and there, there'd be a couple reasons where I'd be like, ah, oh, she's, you know, there's this, this. And I, because of that, I, I just don't see this going places. And then we, we stopped dating. And then like a year later, she's like, she's already, she's achieved those things that I wish that I wish she'd achieved. Like, man, I really wish um, I kind of stuck that out. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I feel like in a good relationship, you change with each other. And the other person is meant to help you change, right? So, like, mm. I find in my relationship with Rob, like, I'm, I'm an avoidant. Like, I think it's like an attachment style. I'm, I'm oh, pretty avoidant. I know that book. Oh, yeah. I, 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 know I don't know. The, I haven't read the, the book. The attachment styles. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. It's, you're either, it's essentially the idea is you're either avoidant or you're anxious. And anxious is like the needy person who wants, who needs the attention all of the time to uh, 
to reaffirm how much they mean to the other person. And then the avoidant person is like, whoa, 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 I need my personal space. Whoa, whoa, this person's getting too latched on. Uh, Justin, you're an avoidant person. Uh, <laughs> it's like, whoa, 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 this is, this is getting too close. But the, the really messed up part about it, and uh, it took me a while to understand how this works in relationships, is that when someone is extra avoidant, meaning they're like push standoffish, they want their space, the other person becomes more anxious and becomes needing more and more and more of that attention. Just like when someone's getting more and more needy and more and more attention seeking and they need to be closer and closer and more attached, the ancient per anxious person will then by nature start to get more and more standoffish because they start to get more and more. So it's this really kind of nasty cycle that happens. And it, what it means is that none of us are 100% this way. It's that when we're in relationship with another person, it's always going to be different. And which side of that coin we're on is dependent on you know variables with that relationship. Was that right, Yumi? Was that what you were thinking? I think, no, that's right. I feel like I'm the avoidant and then Rob is the needy one. But I think we've like learned to kind of meet in the middle. So I've learned to like, I'm so mean. He'll be like, he'll be like, oh, I miss you. I love you. And I'm just like, oh, thanks. <laughs> I just, you, I just you didn't say love you back? <laughs> Ow. Or, or I'll say, or I'll it's say like, it. And I I'll also like you too. But I'm typing it kind of like, love you too. And he's like, why are you going to be like that? I'm like, I just, it just feels so false. Like, but it's kind of like in person, it's better. But when it comes to text and it's always like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I love you. I miss you. Blah, blah, blah. Like it makes the avoidant me comes in and I'm mm. like, hey, just leave me alone for five minutes. But it's, yeah. it's good because we balance each other out. I have made myself be be okay with being more vulnerable. I mean, I'm avoidant because I don't like, don't like that vulnerability and sharing feelings. So he pulls it out of me, which is a good thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Another thing a really good friend of mine uh, told me, and who knows if it's true, but it sounded right. He said he had more years uh, experience in his marriage and stuff. And he said, in terms of that kind of give and take of being needy or being standoffish, and we're saying avoid and anxious, he says over the course of a relationship, and maybe multiple years that it takes to find this out, he says over the course of a relationship, it completely switches which end of that spectrum you're gonna end up being on based on life situations, based on job situations, or on friends or family issues or whatever is going through your life. And so he said, there may be that time when you're like, oh, I don't feel like I'm into her as much as she's into me, but I really, really like her, but I'm so worried that she feels stronger and that that's off. That maybe that might change in like yeah. four months if you just give it the chance and that there may be a time where like you need more of their attention. So it's interesting. This stuff is really complicated. And it's I just, it is. Also the, this mix of like, so my friends Mel and Louie have been together for like, I think seven, seven or nine years, something like that. And they said there'll be points in the relationship where one of them loves some, the other more than the other person. So mm -hmm. it'll be a constant mm -hmm. switch, especially when you've been together for that long. But I also think it's like a mix of the feminine and the masculine. Sometimes I'll be in my alpha state where I'm kind of like, you know, avoidant and Rob's being all needy. And then in the points where I'm like vulnerable, like this year, I was like kind of up and down emotionally. He'll step in and be the alpha and then I'll be able to sit in my feminine. So it's... Changes, fluctuates. Yeah. Justin, does it ever fluctuate for you? Or are you pretty much always on the one side of that spectrum? No, no, I've, I've, I've been on the <laughs> other side of that coin uh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've, seen, I've, seen the, I've seen the whole thing in flux. No, more than once. Yeah.
Definitely more than once. More than twice. Have you ever had your heart broken, Justin? Yes, several times. I'm sorry, buddy. Thanks. Yeah. Happens. Part of life. I don't know. No, I'm not going to crack that open. I was just curious if you would say that you had. I had never heard you admit that before. That's not true. I don't think so. How many times have you been heartbroken, Ellen? Every time. I'm even heartbroken when I'm the one who's like, I don't think we can do this relationship anymore. It's always tough. I actually, that's a totally fair um, question because how, what constitutes a heartbreak? Like how severe or whatever, like it always hurts. That's what I, if you loved them, it always hurts. And, and I actually, I kind of think a part of it will always sting a little bit. It's just that sting slowly starts to fade away or turns into maybe an appreciation you have for them or memories you have, right? Those memories sting early on, I find. I've been I've, I've, once. What's his name? We'll find him. He's, he's done. Billy. Oh, wow. We just, wait, we just wait said his name. <laughs> yeah. yeah but, I think oh. it's, but I know before it was he, he who will not be named, but now I'm just like, whatever. But yeah, he, um, we, were, we met in Singapore. and Sorry about that. It, it's like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> he seemed um, nice. Seemed like a nice guy. When you first meet, he's a very nice guy. Yeah, he, he is a nice guy. He just has so many insecurities, right? He was a male model and like, you don't deal with that kind of stuff. You go into the same sort of patterns. We were together for about three or four months. And then he went to Bangkok and I went back to Melbourne to finish my studies. And then in Bangkok, he had already started like beating on me. And I warned him as well. I'm like, if you ever do something, trust me, I will find out. I don't care if you're in Bangkok, trust me. I will find out. Mm-hmm. And I found out. But this is after he, he'd broken up with me, like says the relationship fizzled out or the chemistry fizzled out. And then two weeks later, he turned around and changed his tune. He was like, no, I regret it. I want to get back together. And then while he was trying to court me to get back together, my other friend in Bangkok reached out being like, you're not seriously getting back together with him, right? You know, he like, you broke up because he was cheating on you. And I was like, oh, Stupid me took him back because it was my first love, I would say. Oh. And well, I don't know about it was a love, but I can't say it was a huge love. It was my first relationship. So um, I got back together with him because I was too curious not to give it a chance. And I knew I would, if I didn't kill that curiosity, I would still keep thinking about it. So gave him a chance. It was meant to move to Singapore you know, put that up for about six months to move to Taiwan with him. And then straight away when I got there, I already knew he was already cheating on me again, like emotionally as well. So it was the second time the heartbreak was fine. I took it really well because I was just very much like already in survival mode. And I guess I already knew, but the first time it happened, oh my God, I turned into like 14 year old girl. Like I went to my mom crying and I never do that. You have to go through that stuff. It brings up an interesting question, guys, because I've always been curious about this. I've never been in a relationship where one person is cheated and then we have tried to come back together. Um, But I know that that does happen. And I know that people have different opinions on that um, and about how much work it takes to get there, if it's even possible. I suppose it depends on the person. Right. But I don't if I were in that situation, I don't know because I haven't been in it. But I don't know if I'd be able to take them back. But then again, yeah. maybe that's maybe that's really short-sighted of me, right? Maybe that's that maybe that's too simple an answer. Because life's not that 
black and white. It just depends on so many variables. Depends on the person, the circumstance. Um, yeah, it's it's a hard one to really try to put into a box. If they both cheated, does that like nullify it out? Then are you just like good to go, clean? I don't. Clean, I think that, that might be worse. worse. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't really work that way, right? It's not like a balance. It, but again, it depends on the person. There are probably some people in, in a relationship. Sorry, I know a couple. They're not together anymore, but they still have so much love for each other. But I know a couple who got together quite young that they were cheating on each other, and then they like stopped that, and they were like, "Let's not. Let's just be committed." And their relationship was amazing. But I think it's like, what's your love language, right? Are you not getting physical touch from the other person as much? Um, are you not feeling like? I think it's to do with the love languages for sure. But I also am a bit more open-minded now in that a lot of couples do open relationships or like they do swinging mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't judge that anymore. Like I used to judge that being like, how could you want to sleep with somebody else or blah, blah, blah. But I think like when you're so secure in your relationship and like if you can talk about your, your past like sexual innuendos or whatever, mm -hmm. And can kind of be like not affected by it and be like, oh, cool. Yeah, like, oh, oh, this is a this is a turn on hearing about this. I think physical sex is just physical sex. So now that I've experienced making love sex compared to physical sex, physical sex would not, you know, or lust sex, I guess we would call it, would not then, affect my feelings. But then how do you trust and like I, that's, you brought up a great point, Yumi, and I was going to bring it up too, is that we're, when in this whole idea of like, can you get over a, cheat, a cheating in the relationship, we're also, we need to take into account that not, not everybody believes in polygamy, or sorry, monogamy in the same way, right? And not, every, not everyone believes that having only one single sexual partner is as important. Uh, I think personally, I'm on one end of that spectrum, but like Yumi, I've also come to just open my mind up a bit more to different walks of life and the way that people treat it. But my question about that is that, if it's just physical sex, like say your partner, say you're in an open relationship and your partner is having just physical sex with someone else, right? How do you know? And how do you know that they're not making love? And how do you know that they're not slipping yeah. into that falling love? And how do you know that they're not already in love and sharing emotional things? Like, and maybe you need to be so secure in yourself that that doesn't matter, but I'm never gonna be that secure. And sex is an intimate thing too, right? So it's, it's really intimate. It's like you're revealing yourselves to the other person in a way. And so, especially if you have that emotional connection already there, that's going to sting. I think it, there has to be rules in place, right? Oh, if yeah. you were in this, I, I don't think I could do it. Like, like you have to watch. No, if you were living in the same hey, country and sure. then you go out on Friday night and then not come home because you, you know, met somebody to go mm. home with, that I think is a bit too, like, too much for me. But if you're like, I don't know, you're doing long distance, for example, and you're just like, wow, I just want to have a fun weekend with whatever. Like, I think it's fine. So I would say the rules would be never with a friend. Never, never, never with a friend. Or Wait, a friend of your partner's or a friend of yeah. your own? A friend of your partner's. Yeah. So can't be, also, should not, it also should not be one of your friends. Well, yeah, Probably. Yes, yes, right. Wait, what's wrong with that? No, because oh, you're already so close, right? And that's kind of a time. time. It's not a big that, deal. That's, it needs to be like the random person <laughs> outside of the of the circle. 
No Unknownst. Oh, oh, okay. In this, circumstance, in this circumstance, yeah, that makes sense. That it would need to be somebody outside of the circle. For example, would you prefer if your partner, like, maybe do it out of one to three. If there was a prostitute, there was a friend, and then there was a random night hookup. In order, which would you prefer your partner to, like, sleep with? Okay, so we're going to preface this whole section this I love I love where you're going with this, Yumi. We're gonna preface this section by saying it, none of us are in open relationships right now. None <laughs> of us none of us want to be in open relationships right now. Nope. We're gonna crack that we're gonna crack that lid off that can and say if we were in open relationships mm. right now, all three of us with individual others, what would we need those rules to be? How would we deal with it? So Yumi's asking, what's out of these three options, right? A friend, a stranger, or a prostitute, which is Loaded. That is a hot fire coming in. Hot take. Um, you want us to rank them in preference? Yeah. Uh, yeah. My pre- oh, for your partner. Yeah. In oh, terms of for our partner or for their partner? partner. So, wait. so. Who's having okay, sex so, in this situation? Okay. Yeah. Me so or them? Your, your partner. Your partner. Okay. Oh, your so partner is going to go. Yes. Yeah, your girlfriend. Justin's girlfriend. Okay. My You're girlfriend's go, 40. I'm not around for whatever reason, or she's tired okay. of me. She's, she's on the prowl. Uh, I'm going to go with, I want her to have sex with uh, a random guy as opposed to a prostitute. Because I feel like they could work for it a little bit. It being a friend of hers, I think it's an issue because then I'm going to be like, oh, they're going to end up together. Yeah, it's scary, right? I think I'm on the same page with Justin in terms of ranking that one. I think also, random guy could be, it could be like an accident. It could be wasted, but you know, random, forgot random. that I existed. But we're dealing with an unknown here, right? When you put in the yeah. question mark card, a random guy could also turn out to be a stalker, a creeper, uh, yeah. someone who, uh, a sexual predator. Like, you don't know what. Like, having your girlfriend who is exercising her open relationship moment and just ma- randomly meeting someone that you that you've never heard of, you, like, I would worry about her safety, maybe? I, I, I don't know. She I, get, mean, I hope she uses her best judgment. Boys. You guys hey, are stuck always thinking about that. My thing is, what if they're really hot? What if they have like APAC? What if they're a celebrity? What if they're oh. your dream guy? What if they're one of your soulmates? You don't know. What if you yeah, just love okay. Definitely not. Oh, definitely that, don't yeah. get that all, guy. all that sucks to you, me. I mean, I wasn't, we were thinking about the most like basics, like very, like hopefully she doesn't die tonight. But yeah, also don't want her to fall in love with someone else. Hence the reason I don't want to be in her. See, I, think, I think that's actually reflective of a massive difference between women and men. Men are just yeah. like tunnel vision, not really looking at the safety. Big picture. <laughs> safety, big picture. I could lose her didn't, forever. Safety. Didn't think about the celebrity component. Yeah, yeah. Mine didn't think be, about the soulmate thing. Didn't think about I mean, it. Mine would definitely be one prostitute. It's just the transaction. You're not really? going to see them again. You're not going to fall in mm. love with again. Like it's just a transaction of sex. So it's also premeditated and like. I don't know. Like, I don't know. It feels well, weird. they're gonna if they want to have sex with somebody else, then fine. Have fun paying five hundred dollars or whatever it is. But also, then, that guy's probably pretty good at what he does. That's that's his like that's his bread and butter. That 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 prostitute get that he he gets paid to lay the pipe. So then all of a sudden, I might have my own insecurities about my performances. Listen, no one. Magic Mike is a fictional film. No one falls in love with Magic Mike. 
Channing Tatum is real. And I know uh, many women who have fallen in love with Channing Tatum. <laughs> they haven't even needed to meet him. I damn I just, near fell in love with Channing Tatum. How would you feel if you, you met a girl and you really liked her and she was uh, a prostitute or stripper? What are your feelings on that? Both have happened. Really? Both have happened? Go yeah. on. I'm, I am, okay. Whether this stays in the, no, I have met a girl who has been a stripper outside of the stripping situation. She said I'm a stripper. And I've met a girl who said that she was a prostitute outside of her working. And she told me about that, yeah. But did you date Did you ask people? if I, no, 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 I didn't date them. Oh. Sorry, was that the question? Yes. Well, well, who do you date them? What if you vibe with them so well and you wanted to date, oh. them, date them, would you date them? That's if they were, if they were like kind of like getting out of the prostitution thing. Yeah, maybe <laughs> depends. But then it also, I think a lot of it has to do with why they were doing it and how they handled themselves. I'm talking specifically about mm -hmm. uh, stripper just to start with. I'm not quite comfortable yet commenting on whether I would date a prostitute or not. I haven't had enough time to think about that. Um, mm -hmm. For the stripper though, I, I know guys who have fallen in love with a, a stripper or two from time to time. Um, I think a lot of it depends on like how there's they a song about themselves. it. Like, there's a lot of songs about it. there. There are a lot of movies about this. Dare I say? Um, and I personally don't have anything against stripping, nor do I think that it's, it's anything wrong morally about it. Um, so that's not the issue. The issue for me wouldn't be like I think that like I don't approve. My issue would be the same kind of stuff we talked about earlier, like safety. Um, of her being uh, in that environment. Safety of me ever picking her up or mm. dating someone who's in that environment, right? Um, but then also on the less evolved level, yeah, I don't know if I'm cool with the idea of men ogling my girl. Mm. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe that's just a really immature to, thing. But then it goes back to, again, it's literally just a physical act with a transaction behind it. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, so for me, one of the, the other main issue for me would be, and again, this is just me and my, going back to just my own ego and self-esteem, um, like your, your career and how other people perceive it. People are going to find out. So like if you're kind of in the public eye, right, like, like we kind of are, and our, and our careers kind of are dictated to an extent by how the public views us, like people, people go, Hey, your uh, your girlfriend um, found these pictures. You know, like, this could be a problem. Side story about that kind of thing that Justin was just talking about. One time, it's just, I'll go very quickly. Uh, one time, I was hanging out with some friends, and there was a couple of new people there, a couple of new guys who were just kind of like new people, and and we're all talking and chatting. This one guy was very uh, he was he was very gregarious. He was talkative and he was boisterous. And he started talking about his wife. And he started showing us pictures of his wife and telling us about their wedding and about his kids. And then he started telling us about his wife's porn videos and about how she is a porn star and now how he was a fan of hers first. And then, and we're all just sitting there like, you don't, you don't tell us this. You're not supposed to say any of this to us. You're just supposed to just like, just not, you're not supposed to let people know that. Okay. But he just was like, so like, that's a situation where like he had literally no hesitation about it. He was, he was proud. To tell us about it and i found that to be so interesting so every walk of types of walk of life you know like literally that. different strokes for different folks yeah yeah okay question you guys are all in, if you're in an open relationship do you want to know or do you not want to know about the the instances I I, know. some people don't want to know so I, I would say some people would want to know 
You would want to know. Yeah, you, you, want to, you want to know, again, what kind of, you know, people are they hanging out with and associating with? Like, how, how not careful are they being? Like, is, have they literally gone and had sex with like 50 people in the past four days? Like, that, that's an issue, I think, if you're okay. Even if you're okay in an open relationship, like, how open? Like, there's... <laughs> <laughs> like, how, how big is how that How open door? are things becoming? Yeah. Like, yeah, is it is it like a turnstile or like a like, barn door? What are, we, are we are we going for a record? Um, like what's is it single file? Is it single file one at a time? Is yeah, it like as long as you have rules set up in place, and I think Yumi said that really early on, is that as long as you're on the exact same page about what the expectations are, and you totally trust that person, have at it, you 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 fun kids. Let's take a hard right. I um I mean, don't know what, how what better way. Go from open relationships, people being careless and like just having sexual partners, creating this kind of, I don't know, pollution of their nether region, so to speak, um, and turn that into how do we make the world in less of an open relationship with plastics and carbons? You know, how do we make Mother Earth into somebody that, you know, maybe uh, wants to lead a bit more of a pristine lifestyle? That, that works, right? That was a good, and, great segue. Yeah, this great is segue. where people stop listening. They're like, I'm right. bored. <laughs> good thing we can edit this. It's going to go great. Uh, I want to start off by saying this. Uh, here's an interesting idea, guys. And let me know what you think. Someone told me, not told me, actually, we all know this, that um, the air's never been clearer around the world than it has been during COVID-19, right? Um, someone was telling me that Mother Earth can finally breathe because now I'm in no way am I going to say that the disease has been a good thing. It's been absolutely horrendous, right? And it's been detrimental to everyone, dangerous. But the Earth got a chance to, to live without our pollution for a long for a little while. The Earth got a chance. And like, if that's not proof as to what, how we need to change, then what is? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we needed yeah. that proof necessarily. <laughs> some knew. of us did. Some of no, not. Uh, yeah. Oh, some people. Did some people change their tune because uh, of this stuff, know. though? Like people that were not into the whole I, global warming thing changed their mind because of the break the world got because of the global pandemic? I mean, I think it comes back to even just like, I know you guys spoke about the US presidential elections, but like it, the debate is between do you believe in science or do you not believe in science? Yeah. And like until Trump was not, when he was not wearing a mask, he didn't really believe in science, right? And now he's wearing a mask. So you do believe in science. So the scientists are saying that you have a certain amount of years to correct this. Otherwise the earth is going to be irreparable and the human race is going to die. Why are people not listening to this? But I think it's a huge thing is it needs to start with like the higher ups, like, this is why, well, let's hope Biden actually, you know, goes into office, into the White House and does all these green initiatives, like changing everything to renewable energy and stopping coal. But that's, that's where it needs to start. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he is a centrist. I think what he will do is he'll put back in place the Obama um, uh, restrictions that were placed on a lot of corporations and companies that are in the U.S. Those will go, be put back in place. As far as things like the Green New Deal, um, that's not going to happen. Um, plain and simple. 
It's just not because um, he won't get the votes, A. Uh, B, um, we, we, to get to those certain points, it is going to take a certain time, and there needs to be more of a plan on how to do it. Currently, that plan doesn't exist within the Green New Deal. So until they start to really lay this out and get the right people involved, because right now it's just people yelling, Green New Deal, Green New Deal, and the plan to make it happen um, systematically and in a way that's not going to put everybody out of work isn't there yet. So they need to figure that out first. And hopefully Biden gets the right people in office that will do it. But unfortunately, right now, he's kind of just hiring the same people that, that were there during Obama's administration. And there's not a lot of new minds in there. So it, it, it'll... He's got time. Know. He's got time. He's, he's got, got a lot he's of, got he's got a lot of seats to fill. There's a time. lot of cabinet and seats to fill. Just I, give him time. I, I still think that the, uh, as far as uh, the U.S. with regards to them leading the way uh, with environmental policy, I still think that's going to be um, very much led by the private sector with, a, with the, the wind and solar uh, companies that are actually doing great jobs in California and Texas. And then people like Elon Musk. Uh, I, I think that's it's going to spearhead more than the government, to be honest. I, I think the regulations that will be put back in place are important. And obviously, Biden as a leader saying positive things about helping the environment will help as far as the, the global climate of environmental policy, so to speak. <laughs> but as far as actual action, um, it, it'll, be, it'll be the same as what Obama did. Let's just well, start with the president saying that climate issues that are helps. real. Like, just, like, we're things. just, we need to step back in the right direction before we can start really heading down that path because we're not facing in the right. And this is just in terms of America specifically. Um, we're not facing in the right direction environmentally. Like we just need, we need to turn around first. And then once we've turned around, I agree, Justin, that not all of the policies are going to be in place yet. But once we've turned around, hopefully we can start moving. Uh, how, do you, how do you feel things? I mean, you're more probably more of an expert on a lot of this stuff than we are. Um, like, how do you feel things are going with regards to global environmental policies? and uh, technology that's helping the world to transition to renewable resources and kind of, I think, how that's going to, like, pragmatically be put in place. I mean, I think it's 100% slow, but mm -hmm. there is, and I think it's really with the younger generation, they're all coming up with these incredible inventions just to, like, even the other day I saw this video that I implemented it in Amsterdam, they, they have these machines that release bubbles from the bottom of the river. And then by releasing those bubbles, it oxygenates the water and it captures floating rubbish from the bottom and from the top, just as it is, so that they can collect the rubbish before it goes into the oceans. And then with those bubbles, fish and all sea creatures can actually get through. Yeah. Oh, so it's like a natural filtration system, more natural... Yeah. Uh, air filtration, maybe or bubble. <laughs> Let's call it bubble filtration. But bubble filtration, but even I love like it, that, right? But like, I think it's like there are these like simple yet incredible technologies out there that aren't getting the coverage that they should be getting. Mm. And once big companies like you know, who's <clears throat> the Amazon guy, Jeff Bezos? Bezos, yeah. He just put ten million in, into a new green initiative. He better. He's got enough of it. He's got enough yeah. of my money. He better put I it somewhere. I don't know. But like, I think it just, yeah, people need to start investing in the right sort of companies and the right initiatives. Um, maybe I think in the government does need to like do things like 
move towards renewable energy. They, he, they, I think they also need to tax people who use single-use plastic or buy single-use plastic, invest in the environmentally friendly ones that obviously are going to drive the cost down a little bit once the demand is there. But if we've learned anything this year, like public noise is really being heard now and is really mm-hmm. making movements and waves. So that I think will just keep continuing, especially when it comes to environment. So it is going to turn around soon. Uh, I do. Let's talk about single-use plastic and let's talk about bags because that's something like we're talking about these policies and and other than voting uh, for the people that we think can guide these policies the best, there's not a a lot more that we can actually do physically ourselves, right? But single-use plastic bags is literally something that every person in the entire world can change their habits with. And you know, it's start it, in here in California. You're supposed to bring your own bags, right? Um, but it's not it's not always followed. Like I still, and you're supposed to charge for bags. But sometimes I'm at the grocery store, and like guys are like, oh, you want plastic bags? I'm like, oh yeah. How much do they? He's like, I just take a bunch, and he hands me like a stack of them. And I'm like, isn't this defeating the whole purpose? Yeah. But like, what 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 should we do? Like, just for for people listening out there, what is the response if we're trying to make a difference with our bag usage? What's the best way to go about it? Be the example and say no, Justin. Um, but like, seriously, I think it's just like, bring your bag, bring your reusable bag. This is why I created um, Pico Bag because I wanted something that's convenient that can fit into the size of your pocket that you don't have to worry about or that's not going to disrupt your day. Um, it can hold up to 10 kilograms. And even by using it for one year, you can replace over 125 single-use plastic bags. Like, it's po- just... Yeah make the commitment to being like, I'm not going to accept any plastic bags. I'm not going to accept even coffee cups, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, no, I, and, 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 I, and I get that. And, and, and the plastic thing is a problem. So I'm not denying that at all. Um, I think from a, again, taking, I like to take, take a few steps back and look at things from a more macro, macro perspective and where should we be, um, funneling our resources down because there's a finite amount of resources that we have as a global community to fight certain things. And I guess for me, the plastic thing is um, 80%, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, around 80% of plastics that kind of end up in the ocean come from third world countries or impoverished areas, uh, you know, places like Thailand, China, uh, Vietnam. Um, you know, th- this is where most of the plastics are entering the oceans. Most plastics are being uh, ended up in the environment in general. Figuring out a way to attack that 80% right there, um, I, I think is a good, um, you know, it's a good focus for everybody's resources and mental capacity, right? And so, you know, how do you do that? Well, one argument can be made that getting these places out of poverty, A, because in general, wealthier places um, are putting less plastics. Now, I know you're saying, I know the argument there. They're, they're doing That's less just because the they have money to recycle. Ex- That's just exactly. Singapore hands out three plastic bags for a bottle of Coke. Like you can go yeah. out in a 7-Eleven and get a double bagged bottle of Diet Coke, right? Like plastic bags are being Not used ideal. rampantly there. But, they are, but I think it's that they have an infrastructure to recycle it that is funded by the government. My point. Do they not? Because, do they not? Because, you mean? No, they, the, the recycling system here is terrible. Only 4% of plastics actually get recycled here. And pretty much, I mean, they don't, apparently they even put the recycling stuff, even though we have the bins, they put it with the normal trash. So they just burn it, they, though, right? Exactly. And then they burn them. Really? What do you think happens when you burn? 
well, yeah, it just goes up into the air and then all the chemicals. Well, don't they, don't, they use a, don't they use a filtration, some sort of filtration device that makes the smoke less, um, less dangerous? Is that, is that bullshit? Cool. Is it bullshit? bullshit? Like, carbon's going to go into the air, you know, mm. all the chemicals. It's not a solution whatsoever. And then when you say, like, third world countries are, like, the ones using it, yes, because it's cheap, but also, like, some of them have been the first ones to come out with proper, you know, collecting of plastics and making money for the locals. Even Thailand came out with the, I think it was the banana leaf, banana leaves made mm. into like plates that have started distributing. Bali is one of the first places in the nature who also one of the biggest polluters come out with uh, biodegradable uh, plastic bags and biodegradable stores. All of that started in third world countries. So you can't blame them and say, we need to fix them first because they're the ones that seem to be actually doing the most because they're the ones that are the most devastated. I'm not, I'm, not bla- I'm not blaming them. I'm saying, I think there's a correlation with getting countries um, out of poverty and, di- and diminishing the amount of pollution that's going into the environment. True. Right? So. I think one big fix to, to attack 80% of uh, what's being uh, created and ending up in the environment is to figure out ways to give these people the economic support that they need uh, to get out of uh, poverty too. So they can, because I mean, why it's a hierarchy of needs. If you're, it's easy in the first world to be worried about the environment because we're chilling, we're good, we got food. Whereas if you're, you know, in Haiti, like, Shoot, man, that plastic bottle ending up not being picked up on the side of the road or ending up in the water, least of your freaking concerns. But also, like, these bigger countries, like for America, for example, they were shipping a lot of their plastics over to China to, like, recycle and and make do and put in their landfills. And now China's literally banned it. So (laughs) my eye is more on these bigger countries that are being negligent. Yeah. I think we got to do it all. Like, we're too late. We're behind the eight ball in this one already. Um, so I don't disagree, Justin, that uh, financially buffering the infrastructures of some of these third world countries could definitely help lower their pollution, their, the effect that their pollution has on our world. But, I'm all, but I should also not use a ton of plastic bags and cups, even if my own specific usage rate is not really what is contributing to the global crisis, but it is. Even if it's just an ideology, I think that the ideology and the way that our culture thinks about it needs to be what changes first. And even like starting with plastic bags seems like a good place, like, cause it's something that everyone can do. Plastic straws, I hate paper straws. Can I, I, I wanna put my hand up and say, I hate cardboard straws. They dissolve in my mouth they don't work. and then I'm drinking paper. But at the same time, I have, I've been pretty pretty excited to see the drop in plastic straws. They'll um, figure out the paper straw thing. I think yeah, get there's that something one. there. If the, <laughs> surely that's something that a problem that we as a human race can crack. The there's the bio the, the paper straw melting in your drink. I mean, I, there's plenty of straws. Like uh, even when Bamboo I was in New York recently, like all the straws that I was getting in in. The containers were also all compostable containers, compostable straws. So I, I don't often actually get a paper straw. It's either that or it's made from like rice husk or it's made from cornstarch. I'm okay, surprised. I don't know where you get your, where you get your super 
fancy, bougie, eco-friendly straws. But I'm I'm not at restaurants that give me the the white wine rice grain straw. I I've never heard of it. What other kind of what other kind of combustible like, combustible like pasta straws? Are? The pasta straws those work pretty well. You mean just when you use a piece of pasta? They're just they're literally just pasta tubes, yeah. and you drink yeah. out of them. Look, I think reusable straws are great. Look, why, why, we have reusable utensils and forks and knives. Why can't, my, my roommate's got like five rubber straws and he uses them constantly. So how, how plastic-free is your life, Yumi? Pretty, pretty plastic-free. The only time I probably consume plastic is if I order takeaway from Deliveroo or Grab or something, and then the restaurant I've ordered from puts it in a plastic bag. But and plastic containers. Or a plastic container. Or there'll be restaurants that have it in a compostable container, but put it in a plastic bag. So they haven't got it quite right here still. But uh, yeah, I, I really don't consume plastic. And even when I get press kits with PR companies, I tell them, look, I'll accept, I, most of the time it's no now, but I'll be like, I'll accept it, but these are my rules. No novelty items, no single use plastic, no this, no that, no, th and they actually adhere to it. And mm. they like give it to me in like paper or they give it to me in like a reusable thing. So that's actually been a thing in the influencer community, I heard. I heard that coming out and saying like these press packages with all of the different materials you use, it's too much because you're really, you know that it's just coming to me for this one moment and I'm gonna take the small little product that's in it and all the other packaging um, I don't know, in, in theory, Yumi, are you, like, how hopeful are you with regards to the direction the planet's going? Are you optimistic, or at this stage, you're kind of like, we're so fucked? I'm optimistic, but I also feel the weight, which I don't mind, which is why I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm fine for my, my career to transition, because I feel more purpose out of this as well, mm -hmm. but... I feel the weight to have to voice my opinion and to try make waves of change without being too dislikable. But then also you also have to accept that side of it because you have to just, even if you can just change one person to me, that's like amazing. Mm. And so I'm optimistic, but uh, yeah, I think it's going to take much longer and the only way it's going to happen is if like other people start speaking out. This is what's great about social media. Like people mm. just need to make noise and the noise isn't loud enough yet. Yeah, I'm optimistic as well, but I mean like the global warming thing that's kind of happening. If we were capable of putting the brakes on all the CO2 emissions like today, trains not stopping. Take a long time, right? So your places are going to flood. You're going to have mass migration. You're going to have more of these. I mean, we're going to be at higher risk of these pandemics and natural disasters like like, that's not going to stop. Like, this is going to happen in the next 50 years, period. It's already and, happened, um, like you said. There's yeah. first-tier countries need to put, uh, start putting stuff in place. They need to start getting their shit together on this ASAP because they need to start building proper seawalls, um, system pumps for these coastal cities if they want them to survive. Um, they need to start putting mechanisms in place for, for third-world countries to handle the mass migration that is going to occur. People in the Bangladeshi uh, floodplains, they're moving. They they're going to move quick. They have to. And they're going to yeah. go somewhere with no infrastructure, less of an infrastructure than they, than they already have in, like, say, Dhaka. These policies need to be made now. And I think I don't hear enough noise about this. Because this is something yeah. that you already know is going to happen. You're scaring and me, like, Justin, because yeah, this is scary. 
This is, no, but like this, this mass this migration is, my, is, is like, a real thing. You, because I think I'm, I'm, I'm quite optimistic about just the speed of technology and, and, and how it's just speeding up so fast. I think we're going to solve a lot of these other environmental issues quite quick. Um, but it's not going to happen fast enough. So we've already dug the grave. And so we need to start filling it back in now. Well, okay. You're making me super scared, Justin. You mean kind of, she presents the, she presents the issue and problem in a way that I find digestible and that I, I, I get inspiration. I'm terrified of what he's saying, um, not just because of what he said, but also in light of the idea that we're having more and more xenophobic tendencies in these nationalistic mm. countries that are enormous. They already have issues taking in refugees, but with this large, massive migration that you're talking about, we're going to have a whole new population of climate refugees. Yeah. And, and the countries that are going to be able to take them in are not necessarily going to be the ones that are most willing to. They're going to be the countries that are least affected by the climate change. And if we can't take in refugees uh, who are victims of like political warfare mm -hmm. and things like this, like, like, how, how are we yeah. going to deal with taking in this rapid influx of refugees who just simply can't live where they where they used to live? It's, it's a fucking it's, problem. Yeah. Which, which is why, I mean, countries like the U.S. need to figure this shit out. Countries, uh, U.S., European Union, like they obviously don't have their shit together. Uh, they, they don't they don't they don't have they don't have the infrastructure in place to do it, which I think is one reason why you're getting a lot of backlash. Um, yes, there's a lot of xenophobic reasons uh, behind it, but. I think at equally matched is just people realize we can't also necessarily handle this in a way that makes sense for everybody. Um, so like, what are we going to do? Especially countries in Europe, like Greece can't handle a bunch of refugees. Their economy is already totally screwed. Italy can't right? probably can't handle a ton of refugees either. Like Syria. Yeah. So yeah. And, and they're, and they're all right there. They're all the, the most accessible. They're the places where people are just going to naturally Get off the boat. You know what's crazy? Yeah. I have no idea about this stuff. I feel like one of you should just change your Instagram profile now and become a climate migrator activist. <laughs> you don't even so have to know about this. This honestly, you need, okay, you need to go study up on this. This is down your alley. I'm not even sure if climate refugee is a term yet. I don't even know if it's a real thing, but it seems like it should be. Yeah. So, so Singapore has a pretty good plan in place, actually. Uh, they, they've got plans for certain seawalls and stuff and uh, pump systems and like, of course, Singapore has an, a good plan for all this. But they're, Singapore's more, definitely far more prepared than most places, mm. than most cities. Miami's already putting stuff in place. Miami's already building like certain walls and, and pumps because they're already having to. Because places yeah, are yeah. flooding during high tide, like places downtown. So they already have pumps operating 24 seven in Miami and they're building certain walls and stuff. So like Miami's going to go first if they don't uh, put more than stuff in place. Wow. It's, it's so crazy. The New Orleans. Oh yeah. Like climate change is going to affect every specific locale differently. Like mm -hmm. California is not worrying about floods, but we sure as hell have wildfires. Yeah. What else do we want to talk about? <laughs> in, uh, I don't know. Um, we went all over the place on this one. I love it. What's, uh, what about, how's everything in LA? What, what about career wise, right? Like I mentioned mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm changing my career chapter a little bit. Like I just think it's going that way. 
it's not that I don't want to do it anymore, but I'm prioritizing my relationship over career right now, which I've never done. So, and I think I just have to move into this new chapter and I think it'll work out for me. So I'm moving, you know, I'm still debating whether I get a talent agent in, in London or wherever. Cause I think when I go to New York, it'd be just too hard to get a talent agent, to be honest. So, but I want to be more, I want to work more in sustainability. Like I want to be known for that because ever since I started hosting, when someone be like, what's your dream show? What do you want to host? It was never the got talent, never the next top model, never that kind of stuff. I didn't know what it was. And I, the only thing I thought of was like, you know, National Geographic, David Attenborough, that's what I want to do. But I, I just don't think that's going to happen here. And I well, think if you're it, going to London, you know, right? London could be different, but like, you could be the next that? David Attenborough. I would love to do the next day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and stuff. But like, Perfect. do you have, cause I asked this question to Justin during COVID has your mind shifted about your career or direction or the purpose you want to bring into it? Or are you still on the, on the path that you always planned out? I've never always been on the path that I always planned out. The path is never like what I, the way I saw that path, Oof, I, I never saw a path. There was no path in front of me to be like, hey, it's go to It's this been more way. of a mudslide. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's like, imagine that you're at the top of a muddy hill at Woodstock and you tripped right before you decided to slide down and you just kind of fell face first into the mud. That's what my entertainment career has been like mostly. Uh, <laughs> no, in terms of, but that stuff has changed. I do feel like I'm starting a new chapter. Um, and I don't want to say too much about like decisions that I'm making or anything, but I'll just say this is it feels really good to be back in California. Mm. Like it feels really good. I didn't plan to be in Asia for a decade. Two years back when I first went out there seemed like it was going to be way, way long. I was like, wow, if I even make it two years, that'd be amazing. 10 years later, I never, never knew how to get back, but now I am back and I just don't feel the need to base myself anywhere else now. Is it weird, though, for you to go through 10 years of basically not having management and having to hustle yourself and get everything yourself to having to rely on management to get you even an audition? Yeah, yeah, it's super weird, especially during COVID, because the tricks that we have up our sleeve as entertainers are completely stripped away from us, right? We're in, we are in-person um, mm-hmm. deal getters. We're, we're in per- we, we get that job based on our interactions with people. And when that's not possible, what do you do, right? So it is a totally different ballgame. Um, I'm getting used to it. I'm getting used to trusting the manager to try to try to get me out there and stuff. So I think it just depends on who you're working with. But um, I miss the ability to be like, hit someone up like, hey, let's go have coffee. Let's talk about this. Like, what's going on? It's a different world. Yeah. I mean, there's still some networking, I think, that you can do in LA. Because people are going out to lunch and dinners. So, I mean, that's still not- there. Not, not, not the same. Not, I'm, I'm not going out to lunch and dinners, Justin. It's not that they, it's not that they aren't going. I'm not going. Why go are you going out to lunch, lunch and dinners? Because of COVID nineteen, Justin. Two thousand people a day are dying in America. We have you know, I'm aware. I, I mean, again, it's um, it's a cost benefit analysis, right? So, like, if your career, um, and you moving forward in that, uh, you know, you, you're going to place a certain level of importance on face to face interaction with people. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you go for a coffee, you go for a lunch, 
if they're allowing no, it, you don't. right? No, you don't, because it's not just your safety you're worrying about, Justin. Yeah. It's the greater good of America. Yeah. It's in general. Yeah. Even if you don't get sick, you're still putting other people at risk just by putting yourself in that situation. And it pisses me off that people are doing it around the world. I'm sorry. I'm done. Close the indoor yeah. dining, goddammit. Um, is, is there indoor, indoor dining right now? Yeah. In LA? California, I thought they stopped that. No, 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 no. California, thankfully, has pulled back now. And there's not yeah. indoor dining allowed in California. So, but other parts okay. of America, there are. You know, and it's yeah. just, um, I mean, yeah, I think California's taking it serious, more serious than most, but I feel, I don't know. I feel like if you're meeting somebody for lunch, outdoor dining, and it's a meeting, I think you go to that meeting. That's the difference between you and me, man. Yeah. I, I, mean, I don't I, go to that you know, meeting. Because, because the bottom line is, man, what's going on in the U.S. right now? Shoot. Go to that meeting. <laughs> you may as well go. I don't think I would do it. If I was in America, I would not do it. And I also yeah. think maybe it's because I've been in Singapore this whole time. So even going to New York this time, mm-hmm. I was shocked. Oh yeah, I don't care. Like people just don't care. Like we go to, you know, the outside seating, all the perspex is up and blah, blah, blah. And whatever, you have to keep your mask on when you order. But like, there were like, uh, I was hanging out with like a group of 20 for dinner i was hanging out with a group of 20 for dinner and then one of them decides let's all go back to rob's place and party so then they by the way tiny tiny apartment so i don't know how people thought this was a great idea to go mm. hang out in a shoebox and then it's like apparently one of them just called up someone and said, oh yeah yeah come to this apartment five minutes later a pack of 15 random people started coming into the apartment. I go psycho, go into the bedroom, lock the door. And I think, I can't remember who followed me at that stage, but I know that Rob was in the room at that stage. I was going hysterical telling him how irresponsible he is, how dare he, how stupid they all are, how irresponsible. And like his friend was like, oh, but like, you know, no, 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 don't worry. Like I, I care about it too. I live with my mom and, um, oh, don't worry. Why is he this, there? This guy has a daughter. He wouldn't risk it. If, and I'm like, you don't know what they've touched. You don't know where they've been. Like, you want to bring people into like, what, it was like a 150 square foot apartment and pray that all of them have other tests and responsible. You can't predict that. And I, anyway, basically my hysteria of yelling in the room chewed them all off and they all left. But I was like, it's so different from going through this in, in, in Singapore and knowing how real it is because they're so like, follow the rules, you're on mm. lockdown, da, da 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 We had the mask on since January, basically. And then you go to America where they've loosely been like this and oh, American rights and oh, it's not real. Oh, it is real, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you guys just don't take it seriously, in my opinion. And so it was quite a shock from going from Singapore to New York that New York is relative, meant to be relatively safe or one of the better cities that have got us yeah. under control. They don't have it under control. Yeah, no. The, the, the control is an illusion, obviously, in the U.S. at this point and, and much of Europe and Latin America. I will say this. When I was doing my road trips across between L.A., Kalamazoo and L.A. to Austin, more people were wearing the masks than I thought. Like in Texas, That's good. to be honest, I, I know the media has paid some bad pictures of, I think, the southern states in the U.S., Everybody in Texas was wearing masks when they were inside, from what I could see. Everybody. Uh, and then obviously you go to some of these more rural areas and, you know, those numbers dwindle down. The Midwest 
was an area that I felt had the most issue with wearing the masks. And I'd say for the most part, the metropolitan areas, people were wearing them. Um, it was in the smaller towns in the middle of nowhere where I'd be at a truck stop or a gas station and be like 50, 50. And that was more than I thought. And um, obviously in that time, yeah. there wasn't a lot of cases in those areas, but obviously it, it's coming back around to them because now, because it was only 50, 50, now their numbers have just skyrocketed and now they're having issues. Um, yeah. So, you yeah, know, I, I get the, the problems. And honestly, even if you're 75% of people wearing masks indoors, not enough. It's because it, everybody's wearing them indoors in Texas and their numbers are going way up. And, and it but has to be a cohesive thing. Coming up with the meeting thing in Singapore, like I, it's you know pretty under control, relatively safe. We have zero cases in the community for the last like couple of weeks, which is great. But saying that, I've also create like I've also find myself not wanting to go to meetings and events. Like to me, I'm like, if this is really important, we can do it over Zoom. Like I don't want to one, I can't be bothered going out. Two, I probably have a bit of social anxiety now being inside and I and I quite like it to be honest but I just don't think it's I I don't know like I understand face-to-face is important in terms of like getting someone's energy but I also think you can do that over the over zoom I disagree I I, I like face-to-face and, and, and when you're Ooh. somewhere like Singapore when you're somewhere like Singapore um it's, it's not really here like it's they've done a good job yeah. so I, again no problems here at all. No concerns here about, about spending here in Singapore for me. Like face-to-face meetings are totally different. Um, or sorry, the difference between face-to-face and Zoom meetings are, are different based on what kind of meeting they are, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, if it's like a meeting where you have things that need to be decided and work must get done and discussions need to happen, right? And you're with like a business partner or a colleague or a coworker, that can happen over Zoom and should happen over Zoom. That's that's great. And I think most people are doing it that way, right? I think the reason Justin might say that face-to-face is more important is because that's a different type of meeting. It's really hard to say, hey, Mr. Producer, who I met three years ago at a shoot for this thing, I'm in town now. Do you want to get on a Zoom call and just chat and catch up? It's fun to catch up, but I find myself catching up on Zoom with friends and family, and rarely am I networking over Zoom because someone. Because I feel kind of like like people are like, is this really just a, a chit chat? Get to know each other. I have better shit I can do. Right. Well, it's, so, it's also it's also more intimate. We're not robots. Like you're in person yeah. with somebody, you can feel their energy. You, you 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 see them. You can touch them. You can smell them. You're gonna remember the interaction more. It's a it's a it's a totally different thing as far as I'm concerned. And you're more likely to build a, a relationship, a mutual relationship that can be- benefit both parties and develop that trust in person. Again, that's for that type of meeting, right? Yeah. There are other, I think other kind of meetings. Yeah, I, I, yeah I think if it's a, a sheer, a, a purely calculative, you know, Work meeting meet. where you're, yeah, you're, where you've, the relationship's already there. You're just planning, you know, when do we do this kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, all of this is interesting conversation. It all gets magnified by 20 when you're talking about schools and children trying to learn virtually right now. So okay. Justin, I don't know if I told you this, but I've joined a substitute teaching agency in Los Angeles. Okay. And I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be doing some virtual substitute teaching, which is something I, I used to do a lot of subbing back in the day. And I loved it. So it's going to be nice. 
what, oh my God, as I'm going through this training session and the onboarding session of what schools are doing for education, it is insane what they're doing. Like there is, so some schools are still going and meeting in person. So some schools are doing a hybrid where they meet a couple of days and some kids go on on some days, some kids don't, and they virtual learn the other days. And some kids are doing all virtual learning, but even within virtual learning, there's synchronous virtual learning and asynchronous virtual learning, which means in-person instruction on Zoom while I'm chatting and telling the kids what to do versus having something kind of like a Facebook page, but an educational social media page right. where I posted my morning introduction I've taken role. Everyone has commented that they're there. Wow. I've given you an assignment and posted a video and audio of me explaining the directions of the assignment. Then they go off on asynchronously do their work and then submit it through this portal that I give them commentary online with and then they go back. Like, and the thing is no school is doing it similar to another. It's all yeah, different. It's all they're different. using different platforms. They're using Google Classroom or their Zoom or it's Moodle or it's Canvas or it's Seesaw. And it's insane. And these kids are having a hard time. Then. At least it sounds, I, I can only imagine. Well, I mean, because they're so accustomed, I think at that age, especially when you're, when you're you know, say below the age of 15, 16, especially these days, you're so accustomed to the, your, your laptop to an extent being the source of entertainment and play. Yeah. And your entire education was revolved around it also. Like it, it's got to mess with their little minds. So what, what, what do you think's best? Like, what's the best, what you, your ideal scenario for teaching people uh, via, via the laptop? How do you think it's? Uh, well, first, first of all, you got to get in, you got to get in the classroom. Like it, you have, I think that in-person teaching is so important. Yeah. There's so many things that happen that we don't even realize. Like you said, being in person, you're vibing off of people in a meeting, mm -hmm. right, Justin? So just imagine multiplying that by 23 or 24, Kids. right? Future, so you need to have that. If <laughs> you need to have that same connection, right? Um, but okay, so one thing that I found really interesting, some schools are doing this to, to kind of solve the issue because students aren't transmitting the disease at as high a rate as adults. It's mm. just true. It doesn't mean kids are safe or immune and God no. damn our president for ever saying that. But it's true that transmission rates are slower. So the risk isn't the students. I mean, it is. We don't want any students mm. getting sick or we don't want their families or grandparents getting sick. But the risk is our teachers because our teachers are exposed to a large number of families at one given time. So one of the ways that some, um, some classes or schools that have the resources they're doing is that they're bringing all of the kids in. We're doing all in-person teaching, right? But each class is only about seven or eight kids. So they've broken all the classes down into seven or eight student pods and then each yeah. one of those pods has a substitute teacher or an educator who's credentialed but not a classroom teacher who just guides that one pod and that pod stays together all year if, if there's a case in that pod just that pod shuts down the yeah. other pods at the school stay open and then what happens is that the teachers virtually log into that pod and teach the kids through a screen and then when that teacher class is done another teacher will come on that screen but it's still that one substitute or that one kind of closer educator with that one pod facilitating as a teacher cycle through on the screen. So the teachers are all te will teach from home, the students will be in the classroom, and then they'll have like educators who are watching. That's just one other solution. But what do you do so, when you don't have space, right? Yeah. You have to so say the same number of kids, but spread them all out through this, the school campus. So how, how drastically do you think this is inhibiting kids from learning right now? 
Oh man, it depends on the color of your skin and how much money your family has. And I guess how um, functional your family is. Cause I guess a lot of times yeah. a lot of these kids getting away to school was the way to kind of fix themselves mentally and emotionally was having that time away from home. And now they schools don't are safe. Schools are safe zones. Yeah. In a lot, in lots of parts of this country, schools are mm. safe zones. It's where the kids can not only not get yelled at sometimes or not be abused, but also a place where they can get food. Yeah. And Yumi, I don't know if you've uh, read about this, but a lot of schools have stayed open while closures have been happening just to provide food. Aww. Just so and, so, and then so these families are lining up outside of the schools. And so at some of the public schools near my house, uh, I've seen them at certain times of the day, they have yeah. a really, really long line of cars. And it's just the school is still providing the public food that the, the children would get. And then some of these families are kind of, yeah, and this, and they were doing that, and they were doing this before the pandemic, right? So even now, it's even more. Oh important. yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. like the next, if we're looking into like future technology, it would be cool if you could. What is it? What is it when they in Star Wars they do it? You get a message, and then you you turn into a little three D feature to deliver the message from wherever you are. Okay, sounds cool. like it's a text message, a holographic text message. Holographic. Holographic. Holograph. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Holograph. hologram. Holograph. Imagine yeah. it, all you had to do was hire studios, whatever, for each classroom, and you could holographically attend the classes. Well, have you I, I, I think you went into the one? same situation because it's your what? hologram. It's not really you. But it is you. But it's your hologram. But you're, but you're, it's, Copying you. Like you can't reach up and put your hand on the kid's shoulder and be like, hey man, is everything okay? You know? Just want to point out as a public school teacher, you should never reach out and put your hand on that kid's shoulder. Just oh, can you not do that anymore? That, that, is, that is a regulation. That is, what? that is, that is wow. California what about, what about locking them in closets? Uh, there has to be other children or adults present so that, you know, it's not just your story against theirs. Wait, so like, uh, kid, like, like, no, like I take, you can't be like, hey man, is everything okay? Like, is everything okay at home? You are advised not to. Damn! You know, it's, you, no, no, you're supposed to ask them. You definitely want to talk to them about that. You're, it's just the hand on their shoulder. You're advised these days not to not to touch a student. I think that's. Because, I, mean, I think that's a little much. I mean, I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that it, that's a hard rule, yeah. bro. And I'm not saying that that's how teachers like. It's a it's a person to person yeah um, industry, and it needs that human touch, especially in elementary school. You mm. go teach a first grade class without touching a kid. It's yeah, no, it doesn't happen. Possible. Well, I, I was in charge of the place. Yeah, I was in charge of a summer camp for a couple summers, and uh, no, they they touch you like one of these because all these kids aren't getting the physical contact that they that they require at home, and you become that physical contact, and they are on you. I want to go back and clarify something I said real quick because I felt like I didn't get to explain myself. I said you you asked how badly do I think students might get um be affected by this right mm -hmm. and i said it depends on the color of your skin and how wealthy you are and i wanted to explain real quick i don't obviously i'm not obviously but i don't mean that based on the student's ability to do this is how far right. they'll either proceed i'm talking about the way that our our mm. school system is set up yeah. like this this company that i'm I start working for they provide subs for a huge wide range of schools from you know um struggling uh, public schools to really, really wealthy boarding schools. And they said, you need to be prepared for all different types of situations. So 
there are situations where like, you know, and if you're in a public school, like you are, you have to teach virtually at home and it's, they barely even communicate with you and you kid may not even log in. Like how are you going to make sure kids log in? Like yeah. truancy is the number one thing with this, right? How do you even make sure a kid attends virtual class versus imagine an extremely, extremely wealthy boarding school that could literally provide rapid testing at the front door every day. So that when students and teachers walk in, everyone just gets tested the moment they walk in, just like the White House. They know the results within 45 minutes, and then you can continue on with school day. You know when there's a case right away. You don't have to shut the whole school down. So just by the difference in how much money they have, like the yeah. education is going to get more and more separated. And it's just it's sad. It's really sad. Do you Sorry, think, I just want to point that out. Do you think that teaching virtually is easier than teaching in person? And if so... Do you think that like teachers, um, I mean, I don't want their salary to go down, but if their salary went down a little bit because they get to teach from home and have more time to themselves or whatever or with their children or whatever, will that make the education system more affordable for the people who can't afford it if it's all virtual? I, I would love anything to be more affordable for people who can't afford it, but I don't think so. And I don't think teacher rates are going to change. If I think if you were to talk to most teachers right now, and again, I'm not a full-time classroom teacher, so I don't want to speak for them, but I have some good friends that I talk to who are. Nobody wants to teach from home. Nobody, yeah. right? And this is one of the things that um, the Republican le uh, legislators have been claiming that like, oh, the teachers just don't want to come back into work. No teacher wants to teach from home. It's so difficult because you have no way of knowing if you're doing your job well. I mean, you do, but it's not the same, right? And also a lot of teachers teach because the instant gratification you get from helping a child overcome something is the drug that keeps them going. Mm. That's why they do it. Teachers don't teach for money. Sorry. Teachers usually don't teach for like respect or prestige. Um, they teach because they get that amazing feeling of helping a child and you, you just don't get the same kind of thing. And it's tough. So no, no, no teacher thinks, I don't think any teachers think it's easier teaching from home. I think a lot of teachers who are younger might think it's super cool because I do have to say ed tech is awesome. The technology and, and the software that they've come up with to do virtual learning is super cool. It's literally like Facebook, but for a good cause, mm -hmm. like you log in and it's just beautifully designed and there's just such a great infrastructure. Um, and it's for education. So there might be people who love ed tech who are like, this is the coolest thing ever. But I think generally most teachers are pretty, pretty bummed out that they can't actually be in class. Crazy 2020, huh? Yeah. So in, in conclusion, um, <laughs> we're all going to be fine. Yeah. Maybe. These are just obstacles. Some of us. <laughs> These are just obstacles and hurdles, except for climate change. Climate change is not an obstacle or hurdle. It is the end of time coming. So but uh, just, but if you want to help the world be a better place, go out and uh, buy a Pico bag. Get a Pico bag from our, our favorite Pico activist right here. Go with um, the pink go, headband. Yeah. Go get a Pico bag. Oh boy! Uh, cool. Alan, are we podcasting yet? I don't know. Uh, I never know. You mean? What's the question? <laughs> Thank you so much for watching. Are we podcasting yet? If you enjoyed this content in any way, please do feel free to like and subscribe. If you absolutely hated this content in any way, you know, maybe you want to hate watch or hate comment or hate like, and also like and subscribe.